Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are talking about the black phone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Joe Hill story that was turned into a Scott Derrickson movie. Scott Derrickson, who directed the first Doctor Strange, actually kind of cut his teeth on horror and sci-fi movies. And he's kind of getting back to his roots with that. And didn't he do Sinister? He did Sinister. Yeah. Yep. He also, he started with, I think that I want to say his first film was The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a, a good movie. It, it's a, it's a movie that is split between being a horror movie and being a courtroom drama, which is an interesting, interesting take, but it's fun. That's also the movie that gave us Jennifer Carpenter, who was Dexter's sister on the television show, Dexter. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we get a lot of things out of that movie. Scott Derrickson being one of them and Jennifer Carpenter being the other. So, yeah. So now I'm not going to say, have we both seen (laughs) this movie before? Because it's brand new guys. It's out in theaters. It's doing doing pretty well too, as I understand it. Something interesting is this was supposed to released in January of 22, but the audiences that they were previewing it to, it was getting such high remarks that they decided to postpone it and do it as a summer release. So that oh, way yeah. it would be a bigger, bigger audience, hopefully. So I think that was a smart move on their part. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't want to release a movie. The dead of winter is definitely the dead zone for movies. You put stuff like Ghost Rider or Venom in out in, in January, February timeframe. Also, this last January, too, would probably been a tough time, too, with, I mean, because I think there was COVID spikes going on, too. So there might not have been as many moviegoers, you know, in the dead of winter also. Um, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we know who directed this. Why don't you tell us the rest of the cast and crew or just cast, whatever you want to do. All right. So you mentioned that there is a short story out there by Joe Hill of the same name, The Black Phone. The screen play was adapted from that or it's based on that and it was written by scott derrickson and robert cargill the black phone stars mason thames as finney madeline mcgraw as gwen ethan hawk as the grabber and jeremy davies as terrence okay only two of those characters actually appear in the short story oh really yes i read the short story guys and i'm gonna i'm gonna pitch in like little information about the short story as it as it comes up but yes, only there's only three characters in the short story. It's Finney, the grabber, whose name is Al in the story, and the grabber's brother, whose name in the story, I think, is also Max, but is Max in this movie as well. So, All right. And, now, real quick before we go in, yeah. I just want to point out, because I didn't know this, and so mm-hmm. other listeners might not either, but Joe Hill is actually Stephen King's son. Correct. That is correct. It is Stephen King's kid. Yeah, he decided not to go by Joe King because he didn't want to get famous because of his dad's last name. He wanted to get famous in his own right. And he's done quite a few things. He did Horns, which became a movie, a very confusing and I don't think very good movie. Also, The Fireman, which I guess is being turned into a movie or a TV series. Nosferatu, which is turned into a TV series. Lock and Key, which is a comic book series. Yeah. 
And that's on Netflix to turn into a TV series. Yeah, that's right. It's a TV series. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Joe Hill is, is famous in his own right. So yeah. Okay. So should we get into the movie? Let's. Okay. So the movie takes place in 1978 and a serial child abductor slash murderer that has been nicknamed the grabber has been picking kids off of the streets in Denver suburbs for the better part of a couple of years at this point. And we meet Finney and Gwen who live in the area with their father, who's played by Jeremy Davies. You may remember Jeremy Davies from Lost. He was the guy that played, he played the scientist guy in Lost. He's been in a He's been, he's a very mousy character usually. And so for him to play an alcoholic father was, it was a little different to see him in a role like that, but the dad is an alcoholic and basically Finney is bullied at school a lot and he becomes friends with a kid named Robin who basically beats up the bullies that, that he beats up bullies. He's a bully beater upper, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and he threatens bullies, the bullies that are after Finney. But then he tells Finney that he needs to stand up for himself. He says, one day you're going to have to stand up for yourself. And that's going to come back later. He's also friends with a kid named, well, not friends, but he plays baseball against a kid named, named Bruce Yamada, who tells him that his arm is fire. I like that whole opening scene with the baseball game. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool. At first, you're kind of like, oh, okay, is this kid going to be like picking on him or whatever? But no, he was a really good sport and yeah. seemed like a good kid. So I, I kind of like that whole opening sequence it was just kind of a fun way to start a movie, I guess. Yeah, and it really, it's set, it, again, guys, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, know that we're going to spoil this movie, but they, these things that he's being told are going to come back to him later. They're going to be part of like how he gets away from the grabber eventually. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. but Bruce gets kidnapped by the, by the grabber. And then eventually Robin gets kidnapped by the grabber as well. And somehow Gwen had psychic dreams about Bruce's kidnapping and she knew some sort of details that were never released publicly. And then there were a couple of cops that come and talk to her about it. Now, how did the cops know she knew that? I, I don't remember it was, that part. It was in school, if I remember correctly. She was, she mentioned something. she mentions it in school. Yeah. Yep. And then I they, love her interaction with the cops and how she just basically <laughs> told them off. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she wasn't having any of their whole like insinuating that she somehow wasn't responsible for kidnapping these kids. Like, <laughs> how would she do that? You know? Yeah. yeah. I think she gives them the finger too at one point. Did she give them the finger? Oh no, she she calls them all kinds of <laughs> calls them yeah. all kinds of names. Yeah. But later later in the movie, Finney gets abducted by the grabber. And this is where we really kind of get our the meat of our story. All right. Before you get into that part, yeah. I think we need to yeah. back up and we need to talk about this brother-sister relationship. They have a solid relationship. So yeah. I think that's important. And I also think this abusive father needs to be talked about a little bit. Okay. That was really tough to watch those scenes. It was. Yeah. He 
beats the kid and yeah he yeah he's kind of a jerk he's not in the he's not in the in the short story he's not even mentioned in the short story so okay. it's not there's nothing nothing thematic there but this is definitely it's de- so it's definitely something that was added for the movie in fact robin was added for the movie bruce in the in the short story bruce's character is kind of an amalgamation of robin and and Bruce in the movie. So they kind of split him into two different characters in the movie versus the, the book. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, what was yeah. I going to Well, to your point though, the, the violence specifically in the scenes with the dad, but also throughout the entire movie really is because there's something very visceral about it. Something mm-hmm. very like something very like gritty and real about about the violence you don't ever see the belt strike the kid but you, you know feel what's it. happening yeah and, you, and you feel it it's yeah. very cringy and you see what these two kids are going through and why they're bonded the way they are bonded too right yeah i mean it, everything just kind of hits like a gut punch right mm-hmm. and to get away from the dad for a second when robin is beating up one of the bullies at the beginning or towards that was the tough to movie. watch too. That was a really hard watch as well, but that it, like it, like it's really, like I said, very visceral, very violent, very much. It feels like, like you can feel the punches landing almost. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely sets you on the edge of the seat. Right. Mm-hmm. And you really think about that. Like, as I'm watching this Finn, Finn as a character is bullied he has an alcoholic father and he gets abducted this kid's got everything going against him mm-hmm. and so for his for him to you know be the be the the hero of the story by the end of this is kind of it's kind of interesting but it's it, i i like the way that they did it i like the way that they did that by the way he says your arm is mint not your arm is fire I I like too how the so we know Finney has a rough upbringing at home, right? But I like how they make him not the bully. The bullies are being abused at home. That this was kind of a different story being told here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It, it's. It's interesting because there are two ways of, you know, that 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 can go, right? You can either be the bully or you can be the bullied when it comes to that. When, when I'm, I'm talking about specifically when, when it comes to Hollywood, everything's black and white with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah, I mean, we don't very often, like you said, see the other side of that. It's usually, oh, the bad guy, the guy that's always beating people up he's the one that's getting abused and right. it's it's used to affect like it's used to the effect of trying to garner sympathy for you know the bully the bad guy the oh he's put upon but here you which you know, this, i yeah sorry. I, th- I think that gets old i think it's tired i feel like i mean being bullied i there shouldn't be an excuse for that. You shouldn't treat. And so I feel like always giving these bullies an excuse translates into real life that, oh, you always got to look for the reason behind why this person is an ass instead of just this person shouldn't be this way. You know, I, right. I, I just feel like Hollywood's always telling us there should, you know, oh, 
just, you know, there's other stuff going on and you just always got to forgive them. And sometimes it's just, it is just, that's that way they are. They're just bad people, you know? Sure. And I don't think they're always telling us that, you know, that we need to forgive this. I think the idea is to paint a picture of an understanding why the character is the way they are not saying, Oh, we have to forgive them, but say, okay, well now I see why they are a bully or why they are bullied, you know? Which I, I get that. Yeah. However, you know, talking to younger people, yeah, how many times there's shows out there that you have a bully who's a terrible person and that person is getting all of this fandom and, oh, this person did, you know, is a great person, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are I you mean, talking about Billy from Stranger Things? Because I feel like you're talking about Billy okay, from Stranger Things. Not just Billy, though. The other one that I hear a lot is Malfoy from Harry Potter. You know, I mean, that <laughs> kid was terrible. So, but those are two of the big ones. But you do sure. see that other times. So I feel like people don't always necessarily understand. And I think you're just seeing this so much in movies that people maybe don't stop to think about it that it's really not okay i mean it's it they may be getting the wrong know. message from i think so i think yeah. they are i think they're yeah. reading the wrong message and i'm getting way off topic here but... no this is this is on topic though <laughs> this is on topic because this is the very nature of of finney's character right this is the yeah. idea that you know that he is he is the bullied kid and this is his story about how he overcomes that right? Things, you get the feeling by the end of this movie that things could be a little different for Finney. Yeah. I don't think he's going to get picked on anymore by those kids. But the other thing too, when those three kids started beating him up after Robin disappeared. Yeah. I love that his sister stepped in (laughs) to try and help, but you know, she got involved. I mean, they, but they punched her too, or kicked her too, or whatever. Just terrible kids. Yeah. Terrible kids. Definitely. Definitely. Why are those kids not getting kidnapped? Out? <laughs> well, the easy explanation for that is that the grabber <laughs> sees that they don't, that he goes, they go after, they go after the weakest. But Robin's not weak. True. But I think the idea is, well, I think that the Robin getting, getting abducted is, is more of a, it, it, it has more to do, I think with, they needed an extra character to flesh this out a little bit. The story is only about 20 pages long. Sure. So I think, you know, when you got this character, well, he need, you need somebody to teach him to defend himself in a, in a longer form version of what happens in the short story. So, and I think, I think what you're getting there is, it might've been a misstep that Robin got abducted. We don't know if Bruce is a tough kid or not. We assume that he's not these serial killers, these people like this, they tend to go after the people that have a weakness. They tend to go people, they go tend to go after people that they think are going, they're going to be able to abduct. They're going to be able to overpower whatever. Right. And of course the way that he, abducts people which you know kind of getting back to the story here the way that he abducts finney is that he pulls a he pulls a complete uh, ted bundy right with the mm. the broken arm thing uh, he didn't have a broken arm but he like spills his he dropped groceries. his dropped yeah. his groceries yeah yeah now that to me seemed so you're just talking about how he 
was going after weaker people. I took it as it was kind of more of maybe an opportunity type thing to a certain extent. So maybe it's a little bit of both. He was kidnapping kids that he had the best opportunity to, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Because there was that other kid that was really quote unquote tough. He was another bully type Mm -hmm. that he was one of the first ones that was kidnapped. And I would have thought he will probably would have put up a pretty big fight too yeah the kid that with the flashback to the uh, to the the five and dime store fight yeah 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 so the the grabber grabs finney by dropping the groceries as we said and then he shoots him in the face with like uh, like an air canister or something yeah i didn't quite catch what that was in the short story it's wasp poison like it's the wasp spray and he does it to blind the kid uh, so he, this seemed more like uh, something that he passed out from so some kind of knockout drug or something that's yeah. in a aerosol format yeah i'm not 100 sure i but then i, I thought like... he must have some kind of under no he wasn't wearing a mask at that point was he how the hell did he not knock himself out was he not wearing a mask i thought when he first approached he just had his face painted oh yeah and he had the sunglasses on yeah Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So I don't know what that was then. Yeah. I don't either. I don't either. Cause he had him right up like this. So if he's spraying like this, he would have gotten himself too. Right. Yeah. He had, yeah. He had his arm around his neck with his front to Finney's back yeah. and spraying ar- like reaching around and spraying, spraying in his face. face. So it would have sprayed the grabber in the face too, I think. Right. right. So Which I, I'm not I mean, sure what that is. I just, it, it, the way that it happens is it like sprays in the mouth and you get like that, like where the mouth kind of expands. So it felt like it was high pressure, whatever it is. And that just, it seemed like air to me. And I was like, why is that going to knock him out? But whatever. Some oxygen for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, breathe. But it, like I said, in the, in the story though, it was, it's, it's, it's Hornet spray and it blinds the kids for like a little bit. And but in the movie, you know, the, he grabs him and then he wakes up in a small room in a like what seems like a basement. He's got a little window and he's got a little mattress and he wakes up with the grabber sitting right there with him. He's wearing a mask and on the wall is a black phone. Hey, it's the title of the movie, guys. What? I know, right? So... The grabber tells him the phone doesn't work, but that sometimes he'll hear the phone ring uh, because it's static in the line or something like that. He tells him he's not going to hurt him anymore. And then he takes off because the phone rings upstairs and then he's going to go answer the phone, get a soda for Finney and then come back. When he leaves, the phone rings, the phone on the wall rings and it's Bruce speaking to him. And he can't remember his own name. He says, it's the first thing that you lose is your name. And he, and Finney asks him when, and he says, you know, when that's in the book too. That's that, which I thought was cool. The short it's in the short story as well. And in fact, this, this is the first of several kids that are going to speak to Finney through this phone in the short story. There's only one, it's only Bruce. Bruce is the only one that talks to him and it's only after a while. So it doesn't happen right away. So when Bruce is talking to him, he tells him that there's a floor tile that he can take off and start digging a tunnel out. 
And so that's what Finney starts busying himself with. How long conceivably can you take digging a tunnel out of a basement to escape? How long do you expect to be alive from a guy who abducts and kills children? They're kids. You know, they're just looking for any way to get out, you know? Well, I suppose he's looking for any any glimpse of hope at that point, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess he's not really thinking about that. You're probably right. So then while he's, when he's going digging, you know, after he's dug for a little while, the grabber comes back and he brings him some food and then he leaves, but he leaves the door unlocked, like unlatched a little bit. And he's getting ready to go, like Finney's getting ready to like, sneak out of it but then the phone rings again and it's another kid this kid's name is billy and he says that the door being unlocked is a game that the grabber likes to play and he's waiting upstairs to attack him if finney leaves the basement he tells finney billy tells finney he gives him another idea he says there's a cord where the where the wall meets the floor there's a little gap and there's a cord under there. If you pull the cord out of there, you'll be able to get up to the window, which has bars on it. And you can maybe get out that way, or at least break the window and try and call attention to the house that way. But when he's trying to climb up there, the bars pop off. So, I mean, that's not really the greatest <laughs> security system ever, I guess. But the bars pop off and he gets kind of knocked out. So while this is all going on, Gwen is having these psychic dreams. Now she's dreaming about all the different kids that are getting abducted, but she also dreams about Finney getting abducted. So she goes to her dad and tries to tell him what's going on. And the detectives that have talked to her at school come back. And talk to her again. She kind of relays her story. But they also go and they talk to a guy named Max, who is staying in the area with his brother. And he's trying to track down the grabber. Now, this is Max. This is the brother of the grabber, which we don't know by the time this is going on. We know as soon as the detectives leave. Yeah, we know as soon as the detectives leave. But... In the short story, Max only shows up at the very end. Okay. He doesn't, he's not looking for anything. He is a cokehead, which he is in this movie, but he's not, he's, he's more of a nuisance to Al, the, 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 the grabber than anything else. I do like that Max is here yeah. because I think it slows down his ability to just play with Finney and kill him. So it's actually yes. giving Finney the chance to maybe do something and get out of here. Right. And there's something unique about this, right? Like, I don't remember there ever being a serial killer who was saddled with a cokehead brother that like, but like got in his <laughs> way. Right. Like if you, have you seen any movies like this where like, like I really want to murder this kid that's stuck in my basement, but I can't because my cokehead brother's here. I got to wait for him to pass out and then I could probably murder the kid. Right. And, and if you've got a kid in the basement, and your brother's there. Why are you leaving the house? I mean, wouldn't you be afraid your brother might go snooping around or something? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little strange, but, you know, fair enough. It's, like you said, after the cops leave, we find out that Finney is being held in Max's basement or the basement where Max is staying. 
and he's not aware of it. He doesn't know. <laughs> so we have, so Finney has this kind of weird encounter with the grabber and then the phone rings again and he talks to another kid named Griffin and Griffin shows Finney a combination lock code and tells him that the front door is locked by a combination lock, the screen door. And the code is, or the, the code, the, the combo is these, this set of numbers. Now he doesn't remember what, what set or what, what the numbers are. Is it seven, 12, 22, or is it seven or 71, you know, 22, mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. So he, so setting up the idea that Finney, if he does get to the store is going to have to try multiple times to open this lock before he can escape. So this whole part was awesome with tension building. This was yeah, great. Yeah. This was this was nerve wracking. So the grabbers played the game again where he's going to leave the door unlatched and he's going to wait upstairs. But Griffin tells Finney that the grabber has fallen asleep in the kitchen waiting for him to come out. And he's now's his chance, basically. So he Finney sneaks upstairs and he unlocks the door with the combo and he escapes but the dog the apparently the grabber has a dog starts barking and finney takes off but the grabber grabs him after you know of course finney is now running down the street screaming help me help me help me it's the middle of the night and the grabber like grabs the kid just like his name suggests and (laughs) And he holds him and he's in, in like like in the bushes or something. And he says, look, say anything else? And I'm going to get you like a fish. So the lights that had come on while Finney was out screaming turn off because there's no more noise. And that's the end of that escape attempt. So I really liked, like you said, it was it was really good at building tension. The shots of Finney trying to unlock the combination lock at the screen door have the grabber in the background kind of just out of focus. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I also liked when he was going up the stairs and opened and you just see the grabber kind of head down. Yeah. And you're like, okay, is he sleeping? Is he pretending what's going on here? The, I'm just going to say right now too, the masks in this movie are fantastic. <laughs> they, they just give a creepiness to Ethan Hawke that, I mean, his Ethan Hawke's performance is good, but that mask mm. just kind of puts it over the top. I think. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's one of the, that's a big change from the short story. There is no mask in the short story. It's simply Al and Al is a morbidly obese man who preys upon children. So this mask thing, we never really see Ethan Hawke's face until the end, but the mask thing adds a visual element of creepiness to this movie that wasn't, wouldn't come across in the story. I don't think, I mean, it might Joe Hill is adept at, you know, writing, writing creepy stuff, obviously, but I feel like this is this serves really well 
the screen. And what I really liked about it is that the mask keeps changing. It's, it's multi-part, right? At so you see point, different pieces of his face at different times. Yeah. But, or but or none not, of his face. Yeah. Yeah. But not at the whole, except for his eyes. That was right. the one thing they said the mask had to actually be cut out eyes because they wanted to see Ethan Hawke's actual eyes through the mask. So that was the one thing that was a must. And then okay. the rest of it was like cutaway parts and stuff. That's cool. And I, what I think is interesting about that is that, you know, Ethan Hawke as an actor, you know, as an actor, you rely on your face and facial expressions to, you know, convey things. Ethan Hawke does a really good job with his face covered up almost entirely throughout this entire movie of conveying what he's feeling, the frustration mm -hmm. at Finney and his escape attempt, the, you know, the anger, all the different things, the disappointments, all the different things that he has to you know, convey until the end of the movie, we don't see this stuff on his face. We only see the mask. There mm -hmm. are times where the mask is, you know, it's got a giant toothy grin on it, or it's got like no mouth at all, or it's just the top part, or it's just the bottom part of the mask. So it's, it's a very interesting from an acting perspective, a very interesting story beat, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, that bottom piece also had a frowny thing and they're supposed to be, is it, what is it that old, is it like some kind of old comedy? Comedy and tragedy, the symbol for drama theater. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that that's where that is all coming from. Interesting. I never made that connection. That's great. Is that what they intended that? Is that it? They did. Yep. Oh, I watched great. an interview with Tom Savini and Jason Baker. They're the ones that, so Tom Savini is the one that designed the mask along with Scott Derrickson. Wow. And then it was actually created and made by Jason Baker. And I watched an interview with Tom and Jason, and that is one of the things they were going for. Tom Savini is some serious friggin' pedigree to have on a movie. That dude, he's been making horror movies since Dawn of the Dead mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. then even. But yeah, he's, oh man, I love Tom Savini. He's one of my favorite effects guys. So that's very cool. I did not know that he was involved in this at all. Is he credited or is that just something where he's just like an uncredited, like, you know, consultant or whatever? I think actually he is credited, but he's like way down on the list. Jason Baker's actually, because Jason Baker's the one that actually made this stuff, but it was Tom Savini and Scott Derrickson who, along with one other person who actually did the drawing, they're the ones that came up with the different concept and the way it looked. Jason Baker went to Tom Savini's school, and that's kind of how he got his start. Interesting. Okay. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Very cool. I, I just, I love that Tom Savini is involved here. It's like John Carpenter's music being in Firestarter. It was probably the only good thing about that Firestarter movie. The, Tom Savini being involved here is not the only good thing about this movie, but it, it just kind of is neat to have like these classic horror creators peppered into like these newer movies. Yeah. And I, I definitely was... think with this mask, yeah. because of the movie poster, Mm -hmm. And throughout the movie, I think this mask is a huge thing with this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is the, you know, what's iconic about this is it makes me think of like the Michael Myers mask or the mm -hmm. Jason Voorhees mask or something like that, which 
I don't know if they'd be able, I know they're talking about a sequel, but I don't know if they, how they would do a sequel to this movie unless they tell the story of one of the other kids that was grabbed by the grabber. But you, you have this opportunity for this mask to be, you know, an iconic thing. Yeah. Or they could go with the origins because this is going to be one of my questions to you. Hmm. Since we're talking about it, I'll just ask it now. Yeah. Does it bother you that we don't know why the grabber is doing what the grabber is doing? Not even a little. Does it bother you? It doesn't. But okay. when I was reading some of the different reviews and stuff out that, you know, just kind of doing some research, that was one of the things I saw a couple of times was, you know, hey, they didn't even tell us why he does what he does. And I'm like, I don't think I need to know. It's like yeah. Michael Myers. Right. In the first Halloween, we don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And I think that's part of the draw of that. Mm-hmm. And so I I'm okay with it. But what I'm wondering then is in a sequel, if that's where they're going to maybe go is go with like a backstory and tell us what he's doing. I I mean, but he is dead, right? I mean, he, yeah, he he dies. We'll get to that part, but yeah, he definitely dies. Okay. Not guys. We're spoiling the spoilers already. We're going to spoil later, but, but yes, (laughs) he dies. But, but here's the thing. Like if we get, if we get an origin, of, I mean, is that even interesting? Like to me, like one of those things, one of the things that's like the big takeaway from Rob Zombie's Halloween movie is they explain too much of why there's yeah. is Michael Myers, right? And I think what's great about this is that we don't need to know why he does this. We, no, I mean, he's a scary guy without knowing, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he, it, and even more scary. When you don't, you don't need to give me empathy for this dude. I don't, I don't need to know he was bullied and beat up when he was a kid. And that's why he does what he does. I don't want to know that. Yeah. I don't want to, there's no reason for me to be cheering for him. Right. The idea is we're supposed to be in Finney's shoes. We're supposed to be the victim here as Mm -hmm. much as Finney is. And his escape, his victory is our victory. And that's how we're, that's how we connect to this film. But I don't know. I think a lot of people, these days in the in the day in the in the day and age that we live in where everything has to be explained to mind-numbing degree in like you know 25 seasons of television i mean i don't need to know i think this is fine the way it is i i i agree, I agree. yeah yeah so after finney gets recaptured he's kind of he's kind of like pretty pretty upset about that obviously he was almost out but he gets another phone call this one from the kid that you were talking about a kid named vance who was a punk kid who finney was scared of and vance tells finney about a a storage room that is connected to the basement that he's that his prison's in and he says he's got to break a hole in the wall to get through the, the freezer on the other side and then escape that way. So Finney tries to do that by using the toilet tank cover and he breaks a hole in the wall. He manages to get the back of the freezer off, but then he can't get through the freezer those darn freezer latch thing yeah it's gonna (laughs) latch on it but here's my question here now this this part this section here and i I, 
I get it. You're fleshing the story out. There's a lot. Again, this is a whole lot of stuff that Derrickson and, and Cargill put in this movie that was not in the story. The, the, I think the problem with this is you have a very obvious murder weapon or a very obvious weapon that you can use to defend yourself. The toilet tank cover. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Finney have just taken that, put it on the other side of him when he was laying on the bed, wait for the guy to come up to him and then just smack him in the head and walk yeah. out. Yep. That's a, that's a good thought. My only other thought with that is those tanks are heavy. Maybe it might be too heavy for him to get a momentum up with it. Maybe, but I think you would maybe try. And yeah. I think you want to give it a shot at least. Right. Yeah. Or break it, use part of it, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, something, something you could have used it. Right. But also I know this room is soundproof, but you're telling me that nobody heard that banging on the wall. Yeah. I don't know. At the, the storage room I'm guessing is also in the basement. Right. And, right. And, okay. Now. Okay. When the grabber's not there, he's at work. Max is the only one that's there. Mm-hmm. Max is all coked up. Sure. No, okay. he's on coke all the time. So what uh, he just he's not gonna care. He's hearing it. He's like probably thinking it's in his head, right? The grabber's mm-hmm. not there. The dog would be barking, though. I would think the dog would be barking, but the yeah. dog is not barking. Although, wait. Max tells the cops when the cops show up, he puts the dog in another room and he's like, That dog is always barking. So the dog is always maybe. barking. Yeah, maybe it is. So maybe he does hear things and yeah okay all right so they've covered that which is cool i think that's a neat detail that they've covered you know noises Mm -hmm. that the dog could maybe pick up on that like a human wouldn't necessarily hear there's a reason for the dog always barking but nobody pays attention to the dog at least max doesn't he's too he's too hopped up on cocaine to give a shit so So once he, he realizes he can't get through that freezer, Finney has kind of a little bit of a breakdown, but the phone rings one last time. And this time it's his old buddy, Robin, the bully smasher. <laughs> Robin tells him that he's finally time for him to stand up for himself. This is it. This is what you can do. And he tells Finney to use the receiver of the phone and weigh it down with the dirt that he had dug up and use that to beat up the grabber. This is in the story, this, this whole bit, but this is Bruce telling him to do this. Mm-hmm. He said, he says, look, if you dig down in that spot where you were digging, there's sand, put sand in the receiver and use it to, you know, to smack the guy. And he actually says, you know, if, he, if I'm remembering correctly from my read through of the story, he says, you know, I know, I know you've got a good arm. You can really, you know, you can really whack him with that. And so, but in this, we get like a whole little like training montage. It's a cute, it's a cute, it's a, we get a, we get a, like a training montage. It's a, an interesting shot. There's a couple of times there's interesting shots where you see both the, previous victim and Finney on screen at the same time as if they're talking to one another, but they're not necessarily talking to one another. It's just an, a, a visual version of what you're being told to, to, to watch or what he's being told to do. And with Robin, 
he kind of instructs him how to defend himself. He gives him a little crash course in, you know, step back, step forward, step back and strike, you know, that whole thing. It, it, it was an interesting shot, right? Because we get to see Robin on one side of the screen, Finney on the other side of the screen, and they're mimicking each other. They're, they're shadow boxing with this phone, with this receiver. It, I liked that shot. I liked the way that they set that up. Yeah. And it it's, it's clear too that Finney is not seeing him. So this is just for us, the audience. Right. See. Yes. This is, yeah, this is strictly for the audience. I thought it was a, a, an mm-hmm. interesting visual cue. I really liked the, I really liked the look of it. It, it, it had an ethereal look to it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when it was happening, the backdrop of the basement, well, it's already gray, but it's kind of darker and it's almost black. So you can kind of imagine that it's happening in Finney's head, or you can imagine that it's happening on another plane of existence. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So while all this is going on, Gwen is having these psychic dreams still, like I was saying before, but she is finding numbers. So after Finney talks to Vance, mm-hmm. but before he talks to Robin, Gwen actually has a vision of an altercation that Finney witnessed at the soup at the store, like the five and dime store or whatever with this Vance kid where the kid carves a number into the arm of another kid. This Vance kid carves a number into the, into the arm. And it turns out it's the house number of the, of the, the grabber. And so Gwen manages to convince her alcoholic father somehow who is like this abusive prick to drive her around looking for this house that she found when she was dreaming of this bike ride. They don't manage to find the house, but she goes out later on a bike and starts riding around looking for this, this house and the boys that were abducted appear before her and she falls down like scared and she looks up and there it is the house in her dream with the exact number. And she gets the cops, the cops come and they start to storm the house while this is all going on while she's, while she is there and the, or she's, you know, she finds the, she finds the house. Max finally comes to the conclusion that he knows where, the kids are being held or where the abducted kids are being taken. And it's right in the house that he's in. And he goes to the basement that his brothers told him not to go into. And he goes downstairs and he finds Finney in the basement. And he's like, Holy crap. What the hell dude? Now this is straight out of the book. This is the only time we see Max in the short in the short story is he finds Finney in the basement and he says, I knew there was something down here that he didn't want me to see. And then the grabber shows up right behind him in true horror movie villain fashion and takes an ax and plunges into the back of his brother's head. And then he decides it's time that 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 Finney needs to die because look what you made me do, <laughs> which is, of course the abuser right that's Mm. that's the abuser the abuser does Mm -hmm. that look what you made me do so he attacks finney with the axe but finney manages to trip him with the cord that he has pulled across the rug that he's put over the hole that he's been digging everything that each of these kids 
told him to do has culminated to this whole thing. He put the window. I love this. This was really cool. This was really cool. It brought everything together, right? It it did all these little failed attempts, but yet every single thing helped him. Yep. They weren't even failed attempts. I don't feel like they were meant to be viewed by the end of this. I don't think they're meant to be viewed viewed as, as failed attempts. I think they were supposed to happen that the one dude was telling him to try and, you know, to try and climb the thing so that the, the bars would come down so that they could put it at the bottom of the pit that he had dug. So like I said, so the grabber falls in to that pit. He breaks his ankle on the window bars and the Infinity grabs the uh, the phone and he uses the cord and the it, it, while he's like, he's got the, he's got the guy bent over backwards, basically pulling the cord around his neck and the kids are taunting the grabber over the phone, which I thought was a little excessive, but kind of makes sense that they would be like, haha, we all ganged up on. Basically that's what's going on is they all ganged up on him. Like he is being, he's being defeated by, everybody that he's murdered and the person that he's trying to murder now. Also on the phone thing. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because the grabber kept telling Finney that the phone doesn't work. There's nobody right. there, but right. one of the kids, I don't remember which one it was said that he can, he could hear the phone. Yeah. He can hear when the phone rings. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that they did make it so he could, he could hear what was happening. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So here, Finney kills the grabber with the phone cord. And while this is all going on, the cops are breaking into the house. But it's not the right house. They pull a complete silence of the lambs on us here. They're at the wrong house. But when they get down to the basement, they see graves of all the kids that were killed in an empty grave, presumably for Finney. And while... The while the cops are like still investigating the house, the sister Gwen is sitting out in front of the house looking dejected. And Finney walks out of the real house, which is directly across the street from this house, which I thought was pretty damn cool. Made for some interesting, an interesting look. Yeah. So he he leaves he reunites with Gwen the police rush the property he tells them where the 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 grabber is and they reunite with their dad who gets to say oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for what I did I don't know if I'm okay with that it doesn't make what he did okay but Mm -hmm. maybe it's maybe it's a first step maybe it's something where Yeah, I'm going to say maybe it's a first step. I don't think the kids are quite so ready to jump on the let's forgive dad wagon. But yeah, well, I suppose I would imagine that that would be an extremely difficult situation to be in. Thankfully, I've never had to do that. But I would imagine that that would be something where you would probably, I don't know, tend to not necessarily trust what dad's saying. Right. In, it's, in, he's probably done it before yeah honestly. i was gonna say yeah in my in my experience when it comes to this kind of stuff just from stories that i've read or people that i've known that is a that is exactly what it is he's probably said this before and so it is at best a glimmer of hope but we don't know for sure maybe that'll be the sequel 
<laughs> I hope if that's the sequel, I am not going to that. I am not going to that. So there's kind of a there's kind of a little like epilogue tagged on to this where Finney goes back to school and everybody's kind of like, that's the guy that killed the grabber. And like mm-hmm. his bullies are kind of like, okay, we're sorry. We didn't mean to beat you up. We know you killed the grabber. We're sorry. You know, they don't say anything to him. They just have that look on their face. They like, have the look. Ooh, yep. Ooh. And of course, Finney now has a little bit of confidence because he's learned to stand up for himself. So he gets to sit next to his crush in class and talk to her instead of like yammering at her. And that's the end. That's the end of the movie. So do you have any other notes or do you have anything that you wanted to talk about? A couple other notes I have. I thought it was interesting that when Gwen was riding her bike through the rain, wearing a yellow raincoat, she looks very similar to Georgie, (laughs) who is also wearing a yellow raincoat, riding through the rain. In and, the movie It. <laughs> which is written by Joe Hill's father, Stephen Father, yep. yeah. I, I'm yeah, thinking sure. it was meant to be that way, but I did find that interesting. I, I wonder if that was, I wonder if that was like a, a little nod to Joe I Hill's immediately thought of Georgie and It when we were sitting in the theater. And then when I was doing my research and was like, oh, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. That's got <laughs> to be the same thing. Then. Well, and you know, there was, that was, Obviously, that was added by Derrickson and his his writing partner, but right. And 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 so, if if anything, it is a nod from Derrickson to you know Joe Hill's upbringing. Because I would say Joe Hill, he's a year older than me. I was thirteen when it came out, so he would have been fourteen when it came out. So that is definitely that's dead dead on middle of his life right there. The only other question I have is. Do you consider this a horror movie? I do. And I think the main thing that really sells it for me as a horror movie is how visceral it is. Like there is something truly just disturbing about the level of violence and how incredibly violent so much of this movie is. I would say that I consider this a horror movie. Where do you where do you stand on it? Do you not think of it as a horror film? I think it is. This was another one of those comments I was reading is that this really wasn't scary. And I thought, you know, scary is definitely determined by each person. What's scary for one person is maybe not scary for another. I think this film is scary. The thought of a child being abducted and tormented by somebody and multiple children and then an abusive father and while this isn't like stabby, stabby, scary, it, it definitely has scary elements to it. So I felt like it's a horror movie. I suppose it depends on your perspective. I mean, I'm a father, you're a mother. Imagine this is your kid. It's terrifying. That's (laughs) what I was thinking the whole time. That's what I was thinking the whole time. As soon as we got out, I texted my ex and said, you got the kid. You have miles. Is he around? Oh yes. Good. Okay, cool. You know, like, (laughs) You know, that's it, it really depends on your perspective. I mean, if you're going into this expecting Freddy Krueger, this isn't Freddy Krueger. You're not looking. I mean, they they tie this to Ted Bundy right off the bat. This mm-hmm. is meant to be a real world serial killer, which is kind of weird that they put all this psychic stuff in there, too. And that psychic stuff is not in the short story at all, like at all. There's nothing supernatural other than 
the fact that he talks to Bruce on the phone. And you could almost interpret that as he's not really talking to Bruce. He's using Bruce as an inspiration to do this, to find this within himself. The fact that there's only one ghost, quote unquote ghost in the story. And he only shows up for a couple of paragraphs kind of lends you lends itself to the idea that it that bruce is more of an idea than a ghost this movie goes total supernatural on it Mm -hmm. and it feels very it feels very stephen king in that way it it does you've got the the psychic abilities and Mm -hmm. the spirits and stuff i i feel like it it does go beyond just a serial killer show has joe hill chimed in on how he feels about this movie I have not seen anything. Okay. Okay. All right. So do you have any trivia tidbits? Already covered everything. You already covered everything. See, I like when we're just throwing stuff in there. (laughs) It's great. All right. So then keep rent or erase, Jen, the black phone. This is a keep for me. I really like this movie. I think this might go in my regular Halloween rotation. I thought this was scary it was it was well acted it's got that great mask that's super creepy i i don't know what it is about masks and that very toothy grin thing those are terrifying to me i don't like those (laughs) things hey i really enjoyed this movie a lot okay fair enough yeah i'm gonna you know what we're in agreement i'm gonna put this squarely in the in the keep category for me because it is well constructed this is a return to form for scott derrickson something that we haven't seen from him since sinister i would say now dr strange was fine but sinister i think was scott derrickson at his peak and i really like that movie and i think what he made with this movie was really good and it makes me want to read more joe hill stuff okay so i i mean yeah I want to hear from Joe Hill. I want to hear what Joe Hill has to say about this movie. I wonder if he feels okay about the changes that they made. The, I mean, there's obvious reasons for that, but the additions that they put into this movie to create, to, to flesh this story out, to give it a, a movie feature, feel. Yeah. yeah. A, future, a feature length, you know, that I would like to hear from that. But other than that, I think this is a, I think this is a great flick. I think it's a lot of fun. And I think people really, if you can get to the theaters to go and see this movie, go do it. Cause it was a lot of fun to see it in theaters. Yeah. So what are we doing? Wait, a, is next week our alien movie? Are we doing? Alien it is. Movie? So we're oh. doing the 30th anniversary of alien three, or is it aliens three? I don't it's, remember. It's Alien 3. <laughs> alien to the third power. Alien to the third power. It's not <laughs> Aliens 3. It goes, it. okay, so Alien follows the Rambo movie titling. It's just uh, random. Thing. It's just complete <laughs> random, uh, complete randomness. You've got Alien, right? Then you've got Aliens, which in a sense makes sense, right? Because now instead of one alien, you have multiple aliens, right? Perfect sense, right? Then you have Alien to the third power is the way it's written, but it's Alien Three is the way that they've talked. They they call it. It's stylized as Alien to the Third Power, but it really is Alien Three. But there is no Alien Two. There's Alien, 
Aliens and Alien 3. Then <laughs> there's no Aliens, Alien 4 or Aliens 4. There's Alien Resurrection after that. And then, then they call the next one Prometheus, which doesn't have the word alien in it. But then they go back and it's called Alien Covenant, not Aliens Covenant or Alien resurrection covenant or any of that it's just random it's it's not as bad as first blood rambo first blood part two rambo three but it's still kind of wonky anyway this is david fincher's first feature film alien three and there i have a lot to talk about with that movie i've seen multiple cuts of that film and we get a lot to talk about so this will be fun this will be fun also one last note the Black Phone is going to be on Peacock 45 days from when it was released. I think it was released last. It released on June 24th. So 45 days from that, it's going to be on Peacock, guys. So if you can't get to the theaters and you've got Peacock, give it a watch there. Also, if you didn't watch it in theaters, why did you listen to this? That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point, man. Don't be listening to these shows, man. We spoil everything. All right, next I know we... some people don't care about that. Me personally, I do. I, I don't want to know what happens in these movies before I watch them. See, I'm more of a journey, not destination person. So I don't really care too much about spoilers. If, if I know this, that, or the other is going to happen in a movie, then that's fine. I want to see how they get to that. I want to see how they've constructed it. I'm more of a journey than a destination person. See, and for me, that stuff, it, I, I don't get into all the how did they do this? How did they do that? What's the theming? A lot of that stuff, eh, whatever. I don't care about that stuff. But so that's why for me, don't spoil this for me. I want it. I want you to tell me the story and I want to have my own reactions being told how you wanted to tell me the story. Well, I only have one thing left to say to you then. <laughs> Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Guys, we will see you next week right here on the couch with Alien 3. Thank you for listening to A View from the Couch. We value your feedback. Please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your preferred podcast listening app. You can reach us on Facebook by searching at A View from the Couch, on Twitter at View underscore Couch, or by emailing us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. Thanks again for listening. Bye. See ya.